Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Section 18 of Finland and the Tsars. 1809 to 1899 by Joseph Robert Fisher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Alistair. Chapter 15 The Constitutional Argument. The Law Committee, in their report, passed briefly over the earlier portions of the controversy that the form of government of 1772 and the Act of Union and Security of 1789 are the fundamental laws referred to in the assurance given by Alexander I at Borgo is established by the extracts from the speeches and writings of Alexander himself and of his secretary and confidential adviser, Count Speransky, which have already been cited in the historical explanation in Chapter 4. That, in virtue of that constitution and of its confirmation by successive Tsars, the Diet of 1877 possessed ample power to legislate for the Finnish army, and exercised that right in conjunction with their sovereign, Alexander II, is also abundantly proved. And the argument is noticed that the fundamental Swedish laws could not be valid because they contain provisions inconsistent with Russia's inherent rights. The procedure in connection with the Diet of 1877 and the military service law sanctioned in the following year is treated at greater length. In reply to the assertion that Count Milyutin and the Tsar only consented to the passing of the law because it was represented to them by the Diet that it was merely a temporary regulation that could at any time be altered by the monarch without the consent of the estates, it is pointed out that there is not a single word in the correspondence that could lend colour to such a contention. The estates did not, of course, imagine that a first attempt at legislation on such a subject could be final, and so, in view of the possibility of some parts of it proving unsuitable to the social and financial condition of the country, and thus calling for an amendment, they requested the Tsar, within ten years or sooner, to present the estates a proposition for such alterations as might be found necessary. In that, they had obviously in view that the law should in the future be altered by the same method as that in which it had been made, that is, with the cooperation of the estates. In fact, this has already been done by the amendments of November 20th, 1882, December 29th, 1885, January 25th, 1886, March 18th, 1886, and February 11th, 1889. Nor does the report on the subject of the bill made by the Finnish Senate to His Majesty contain the slightest allusion to the idea that the act was a mere 
temporary expedient to be altered when necessary by the authorities in St. Petersburg. The Senate, in its humble representation, after giving an account of the rather considerable alterations made in the propositions by the estates, proceeds to point out that some of the alterations so made only affect the wording or redaction of this project, without making any real alteration in the matter or substance of it, whilst others bear only on matters of administrative detail, in which correction or amendment, should such prove necessary, ought to be obtainable in the future without any difficulty. It must be obvious to anyone who understands procedure that here the Senate are only expressing the opinion that the Estates would not hesitate to cooperate with the authorities in enacting such alterations as were shown to be necessary. Count Milyutin, the Minister of War, as is shown by the records, received a copy of this humble representation, and can have been under no possible misapprehension as to its meaning. Indeed, it was after taking cognizance of this, and other documents relative to the measure, that Count Milyutin recommended its confirmation, including those clauses which it was proposed to safeguard with the special sanctity of fundamental laws. There is no evidence, it is true, that the War Minister had knowledge of the particular fact that certain clauses were to be declared fundamental, but that point, whatever the truth may be, is of no real importance, since Count Milyutin must have known that a measure presented to the estates and passed by them, and afterwards sanctioned and promulgated by the Emperor, became a law of Finland, and could not be altered otherwise than with the approval and assent of the estates. Count Milyutin was in fact no stranger to Finland or its constitutional methods. He was present with Alexander II when His Majesty in person opened the first Diet of Helsingfors in 1863 and heard the deliberate and carefully worded declaration made by the monarch that the principle of the constitutional monarchy was inherent in the character of the Finnish people, and that of that principle all their laws and institutions bore the impress. And he was naturally not ignorant of the only possible meaning which in any parliamentary state in the world attaches to the circumstance of the monarch giving his sanction to a measure accepted by the estates. Even if it could be imagined that the Minister of War did not know the meaning of the Diet's deliberation and the monarch's sanction, it so happens that there exists positive proof that Count Milyutin was not only acquainted with the Finnish constitution in general, but also with the particular Swedish statutes on which it is based. In a dispatch forwarded by him to the Minister Secretary of State for Finland on October 25th, 1876, he discusses the question of the person to whom the command of the Finnish troops should be entrusted, and in the course of the argument he says, Moreover, according to the Swedish constitution of August 21st, 1772, which lies at the basis of Finland's constitutional organization, the supreme command of all troops and of the army belongs solely to the king. And, from another portion of the same dispatch, it is clear that Count Milyutin had had, under his particular consideration, the position and powers of the estates. The Senate had, it seems, expressed its doubt in connection with this same matter of the command of the army, as to the possibility of obtaining the assent of the estates of the country, to an alteration of the fundamental law, which makes it requisite that every holder of a Finnish office must be a citizen of Finland and the Minister of War quotes this expression of opinion and comments upon it. 
These extracts entirely dispose of the contention of the Russian general staff that Count Milyutin was so little versed in constitutional law in general, and in the constitution of Finland in particular, as to imagine that every law that was not expressly declared a fundamental law could be altered by the monarch without the consent of the estates. Such an idea, in fact, existed in no quarter in the time of Alexander II, when Finland's constitutional rights were well understood and were respected in the highest quarters. Such absurd theories are a later invention, and have their origin in interested political motives. Count Milyutin was well aware that the monarch's confirmation of the military service bill made it a law that could only be altered by the same authority as that which had created it, namely the estates and the emperor. That being so, it was from his point of view a matter of secondary importance, whether the law was a fundamental one, requiring the assent of all four estates, or an ordinary law, requiring the assent of three only. Nor does the dispatch of Count Milyutin, bearing date July 31st, 1878, when properly considered, support the contention of the general staff that the war minister imagined that he could alter the new law without the consent of the estates. The terms of that dispatch are as follows. In obedience to the gracious command of his imperial majesty, and in answer to the dispatch of the Secretary of State of July 14th of this year, number 512, I have herewith the honour to inform your excellency that the War Department, being in agreement with the Senate of Finland, both in its judgment of the military service law approved by the estates of the Grand Duchy of Finland, and also as to the special causes and motives on account of which the Senate has considered it possible to consent to the considerable alterations made by the estates in some of the fundamental provisions of the proposed regulations, which by the gracious command were submitted to the examination of the Diet does not discover any obstacle to submitting the said lord for the gracious confirmation of his imperial majesty in the form in which it was accepted by the estates. In the first place, because this lord, according to the request of the estates, would only be a temporary one, and subject to revision after the same had been applied during ten years, or even sooner, should such revision be found necessary, and according further to the declaration of the Senate as gathered from dispatch number 512 of the Secretary of State, that the necessary alterations in details and drafting could in case of need be made afterwards without difficulty, and in the second place, in order that the carrying out of a military reform so necessary for the Grand Duchy should not be postponed. At the same time, the War Department has found that it is able to concur in the declaration of the Senate of Finland in the relation to the representation made by the Estates on the question of assigning means to cover the cost of the introduction of compulsory military service. But, upon condition that the proposals as to the organization of the Finnish troops, and as to their administration and military arrangements, which proposals are dependent on the decision of this question, and would be drawn up by the Senate before being submitted to the gracious ratification of His Imperial Majesty, will in due time be communicated to the War Department, 
with the view of obtaining its opinion on the question of abolishing the system of quartering in Finland as requiring very careful treatment, especially in so far as it concerns the imperial troops, should be separated from the present question and subjected to thorough scrutiny at first on the spot in order that an opportunity should be given to the local military officers to take part in such scrutiny and afterwards in the war department itself. In communicating the above, I have the honour, etc., etc. The Minister of War here shows that he understood that no real alteration of the law could be made without the consent of the estates, for whilst thinking that alterations in details and drafting might be made by the officials, he makes a distinction between such verbal modifications and that revision for which the law would come up after its ten years' practical working. If he had imagined that the whole law could be altered at the will of the department, and without the assent of the Diet, it would not have been necessary to make any such distinction. It will also be noticed that the opinion of the War Minister on the temporary nature of the measure is based on the statement made by the estates, and from that statement Count Milutin would also have learned that such revision after temporary operation required the assent of the estates. The argument as to the desirability of a confirmation of the law in order that the carrying out of a military reform so necessary for the Grand Duchy should not be postponed, is also conclusive as to the knowledge on the part of the Minister of War that it was necessary to take advantage of the assent of the estates, even to what he regarded as an imperfect measure, as otherwise, the Diet being dissolved, no military reform could be carried in the ordinary course for a period of five years. But whether or not Count Milutin fully understood the distinction between fundamental laws and general laws, it is quite certain not only that the Emperor Alexander II, with a perfect knowledge of the legal significance of his act, confirmed the military service law as it had passed the estates, but that he also accepted and approved their resolution and request that certain parts of the law should acquire the special sanctity of a fundamental law, and that he, with this full knowledge and consent, signed a special manifesto to that effect. This in itself is of course decisive so far as the absolute and unquestionable validity of the measure in all its parts is concerned. The Law Committee did not think it necessary to discuss the preposterous idea of some Russian writers that the validity and force of a law confirmed by the monarch could be called in question on the ground of an opinion expressed years afterwards by some third party or on the ground that His Majesty did not comprehend the full significance of his act of ratification. It confined itself to pointing out the fact that not only was Alexander II thoroughly conversant with the constitutional circumstances of Finland in general, but that he was also well instructed on this particular point. The minutes of the Finnish Committee for August 30th, 1878, have been produced and examined, and on this record, which has been signed and approved by His Majesty himself, there is the express reminder that on account of the fundamental character that attaches to certain paragraphs of the military service law, the conditions governing the said paragraphs would be that no alteration in them could be effected, save on the initiative of His Imperial Majesty, and with the united assent of all four of the estates of the Diet. The special manifesto signed by His Majesty on December 6th, 18th, 1878 was in the following terms. 
in addition to our this day graciously approving and confirming a military service law for the Grand Duchy accepted by the Estates of Finland, we have, in conformity with what the Estates have proposed, found it good, most graciously, to declare that the following paragraphs in the same, which are of greater importance, and in part also involve an alteration of the fundamental law in force, viz. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 9, 13, 19, 20, 120, 121, 122, and 123, shall be regarded as paragraphs of a fundamental law. The committee found it necessary also to deal with another argument which finds expression in the reports of some Russian commissions charged with the preparation of the new army proposals, and which takes the form of exaggerating the alleged claims of Finland under the fundamental laws of 1772 and 1789, and thereby representing Finland's attitude as one impossible to recognise consistently with the safety of the empire. It is said that Finland claims to be an independent state, bound to Russia simply by what the German jurists call a personal union. This has never been the contention of any Finnish publicist of standing, and the estates of Finland have on several occasions, acting in conformity with the law committee, both in statutes and otherwise, given expression to the acknowledgement that Finland, whilst enjoying domestic autonomy, is inseparably united with the Russian Empire, and constitutes a part of Russia, no other opinion can be said to prevail in Finland. As regards the Imperial Manifesto of February 3rd, 15th, 1899, and the fundamental statutes annexed to it, the conception that seems to the committee to form its basis is that the Imperial Council in St. Petersburg should be made into a sort of legislative organ for Finland, and that laws could thus be passed for that country, even in cases in which the form of government of 1772 and the law of the Diet of 1869 permit the legislation only with the approval and consent of the estate. The statutes proposed in the manifesto certainly suggest the possibility of measures passed by the estates being reconsidered and confirmed in a wording differing from, or even directly contrary to, that fixed by the Diet. And as the manifesto, which in that respect presupposes a method of legislation entirely foreign to the law of Finland, seems thus to have in view that the present proposal for a military service law should also be dealt with according to the fundamental statutes referred to, and, as this question is thus inseparably connected with that submitted to the estates, the committee, being convinced that the state of affairs has not been fully laid before his imperial majesty, is of opinion that the estates should in their humble reply give prominence to the circumstances which ought in this connection to receive his majesty's gracious consideration and which are as follows. 1. The fundamental laws confirmed by Emperor Alexander I form, as the monarch several times expressed, a constitution, and this includes, amongst other things, that the country shall be governed according to its own laws, and that the monarch has the right to rule and govern conjointly with the local authorities that a law, whether fundamental or otherwise, 
to be valid in this country can be made only with the approval and assent of the estates, except in certain departments in which the monarch has the right to issue laws without the cooperation of the estates, yet so that it is done with the concurrence of the local authorities, and as regards the military burden especially, that a law on compulsory military service cannot be made without the knowledge, free will, and assent of the estate. 2. Since the separate constitution of Finland was thus confirmed, neither the institutions of the empire nor its principles of autocracy have ever been introduced or have been enforced in this country. The imperial council can, therefore, not act as a legislative body for Finland. 3. The Manifesto of 3rd, 15th, February, and the fundamental statutes annexed thereto, set up for the making of laws that shall be valid also in Finland, another method of procedure than that fixed in the fundamental laws of the country. These decrees have not only been drawn up by authorities foreign to the country, but they have also been issued without the approval and consent of the estates of Finland, and, moreover, have been promulgated here in a manner not consistent with the laws of the country, namely, by means of a copy without being countersigned by the Minister Secretary of State for Finland. In consequence of this, it is evident that the manifesto and the fundamental statutes are in conflict with the right of self-governing, which, according to Finland's constitution, belongs to her people. 4. Since Finland's fundamental laws do not allow for the making of laws for the country in any other way than that fixed in these fundamental laws, Law-making for the whole empire has not, properly speaking, heretofore existed. This does not assert that the monarch, before taking measures valid for Finland, might not have consulted the authorities of the empire when the subject was one in which its interests were concerned. And as the monarch has, in certain classes of cases, the right of issuing laws without the assent of the estates, it has been permissible constitutionally in such cases to enact laws that were valid both in the Empire and in the Grand Duchy, without the matter having been treated by the Estates. This applies to such matters as the succession to the Crown, and treaties, and other relations with foreign powers. Such things concern the whole Empire, and the administration of such cases has never given rise to any difficulties. 5. Should, however, the procedure for lawmaking for Finland, which has hitherto been in force, be found to require amendment, with a view to rendering possible the introduction of a system of real imperial legislation, such modifications of the constitution of Finland can, with due regard for the sanctity of the fundamental laws, be brought about only with the cooperation of the estates. The Estates, in concluding their humble reply, adopt and incorporate the report by the Law Committee, after once more assuring the Emperor that the rights of the Finnish nationality have in them nothing contrary to the dignity or to the highest interests of the Russian Empire, and repeating the declaration made by Alexander I 
enclosing the Dier Borgo, that Finland would be placé désormais au rang de nation sous l'Empire du Célois. The estates declare that they simply hold fast to the sanctity of the rights thus guaranteed. They again refer to the fact that the Finnish people have never, during their ninety years' union with Russia, been a cause of anxiety to the Tsar or Empire, and they point out that the despondency that now prevails has been caused solely by the reiterated attacks on what they value as their highest and most precious possession. They conclude with these words. The estates are assured that the aforesaid deeply grave circumstances have not, or at least not completely, been laid before your imperial majesty, whilst on the other hand it is to be feared that communications injurious to Finland, the wrongfulness of which time will surely show, have been made not only to your imperial majesty, but to influential circles in the empire. But in Finland's people the conviction has, from of old, been root fast the people can and ought to turn with confidence to its monarch, in order to lay before him what moves it to the depths of its heart. Convinced of the importance of what has been set forth above, the estates have thought that it ought, with humility, to be submitted to your imperial majesty's own gracious consideration, and the estates venture to believe that those high-minded words, once addressed to the Finnish people from the same throne which your majesty now occupies, shall still prevail, namely, that utterances of probity, truth, and obedience to the law can always reckon on the monarch's imperial protection and gracious favour. In summing up what has been already set forth, the estates humbly represent to your imperial majesty as follows, that according to the constitution of Finland, a law which shall be observed by the Finnish people can only be made in the form prescribed by the fundamental laws of the country, which provide that not only is the monarch to be assisted therein by the local authorities, but also that a law concerning matters not pertaining to the so-called cases of order and economy shall be passed with the knowledge and assent of the estates that, on the other hand, the order for the making of laws intended to be in force also in Finland, which has been prescribed in the statutes annexed to the Gracious Manifesto, is in conflict with the fundamental laws of Finland, and with the constitution based upon them, that the manifesto and the statutes thereto annexed which have been passed without the approval and assent of the estates of Finland, and also in another order than that prescribed by the fundamental laws of the country, cannot in consequence have in Finland the sanctity of law, that especially the law concerning military service for the inhabitants of Finland cannot, without violating the constitution of the country, be issued as an imperial law, or otherwise ratified by the Emperor and Grand Duke, until it has been accepted by the Estates, that the military service law now in force, which was passed in the order prescribed by the constitution of the land, 
cannot be altered or abolished otherwise than by the concurrent decision of the emperor and grand duke and the estates that in case your imperial majesty should however find that a special method of making laws that are to be of common application to the empire and to finland is called for the estates expect your imperial majesty will be pleased to lay before the estates in order that it may be treated according to the law a gracious proposition containing a scheme for such an alteration of the fundamental laws of the country as is necessary for that purpose and finally the estates desire to declare the estates consider it their duty based upon the highest considerations to hold fast to the law and the right which in the year of eighteen o nine were solemnly guaranteed to the finnish people to be irrevocably maintained. End of section eighteen.